and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. So week three, I want to start with Hebrews 11.1. It says this, now faith, everyone say faith. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. Confidence in what we hope for. Confidence of future things. And it's assurance about what we do not see, evidence of what we do not see. And like I said, I gave you that definition too, my, my own definition, which isn't as elegant as our Hebrews writer here, but it's a total trust in the providence and provision of God. That's what faith is. It's important to understand that we've been liberated to carry this faith, this total confident trust in the providence and provision of God. We've been liberated to live with that faith, not because church told us to, but because of what we know God has already done for us in Jesus. We've seen the Father's heart in Jesus. We serve a God who left heaven to pursue us. Amen? So in that, when I put faith in, when I put faith in Jesus, you know, faith looks a whole lot like following. So when I put faith in Jesus, I, I become a Jesus follower. So the fruit of my faith should always be action. The fruit of my faith should always be action. It, it, faith is something that happens on inwardly. It's something that happens on the inside, but it's something that uh, always produces fruit outwardly. Our, our faith produces love for others. Our faith produces generosity towards others. Our faith gives us power over sin. But if I'm really living with a complete trust, a complete confidence in the providence and provision of God, then faith should 100% absolutely give me courage. I should live with courage if I'm a person full of faith because I trust God. So when God tells me to go, I'm ready to go. I trust your providence and provision. Amen? Our faith produces Lots of fruit. The one thing it should definitely produce is courage. You know, I, I say this verse almost every week or every other week, but Ephesians tells us we're God's masterpiece. We've been created in Christ Jesus anew to do good things that he prepared for us long in advance. If you're in the room, you have purpose. You, you have a calling on your life. You've been anointed to carry out good things that God prepared for you long in advance. Say good things for me. Say good things for me. God has a, God has assignments for your life. That's pretty exciting, right? We all love that God. Come on. I, I, I got someone hollering right now. We, we love that God has good things for us until he asks us to do those good things. And we're like, oh, that's scary. You want, you want me to do what? Right? But th this is, this, this is where our faith comes in. Do you trust the providence and provision of God? Right? We love God as good things until he asks us to do those good things. I think we know, we, we can know that following God is sometimes going to be scary it, it, because we even see it in God's command to Joshua, where, where Joshua has been anointed the new leader of the Israelites, and God himself tells Joshua, hey, you got to be strong and courageous, man. Because you know what? There's probably going to be times you're scared but you have to be strong and courageous. 
I just really believe we have some people in the building this morning who are supposed to be taking moves in faith, who are supposed to be taking steps in faith. And, and I just want to prophetically declare that it's time to move. It's time to move. I, I, I believe there's people in the room this morning. I felt it in my heart prepping the message. I, I felt it this morning that just the, just the spirit stirring in my soul. There's people who God has been prompting you. His Holy Spirit has been prompting you to either make a move, have a conversation, something with the relationship. I don't know what it is specifically. He didn't give me direct revelation like that. But I know there's people in the room and you've been, been teetering God, God and, and God saying it's time to move. It's time to step out. In the words of the great theologian and Christian rapper, Andy Minio, he says, make moves or make excuses. Make moves or make excuses. Amen. Let's look at our key scripture and then I'll jump into the word. Luke 17. Short little story here. It's found in Luke 17. We'll start at verse 11 says this, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. So we see Jesus is on the border of Galilee and Samaria. It says, as he entered a village there, 10, everyone say 10, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance crying out, Jesus! Have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, someone say, as they went, as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. As they went, they were cleansed. I don't even got to preach this. Y'all know where we're going. Y'all know where we're going. Come on, let's pray. And then we'll jump in. Jesus, we love you so much. Father, I really am truly grateful for the opportunity to be up here uh, to deliver your word, to help people understand your word. God, I pray for an anointing. Use me as a vessel this morning. Uh, give me power and authority to communicate this message with grace and truth. And I pray that you would till soils in the room, right? You would till soils of hearts in the room right now. So as the seed of your word goes forth, it would take root in our heart. It would grow to produce fruit in our lives. God, if we just come in here every week and just listen, we just listen. We just listen, but we never do. We're deceiving ourselves. Father, I pray that we would be people full of faith, people full of real, genuine faith, and real, genuine faith always has action. Help us to apply your word. Transform us. And I pray that this church would foster kids in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all heard the saying, look good, play good. Look good, play good. You know, now I'll show up to pick up basketball games and my socks don't match and my shoes are old and I don't really so much care now, but back in the day, high school days, let's crack open the yearbook really quick. Take a look back. Uh, man, look good, play good. That's important to these high school athletes, amen? And it was to me. It's all about the swag. Come on, you don't look good, you don't play good. That's just the way it goes. Can I get an amen for some athletes, boys and girls? Yeah. So they got the headbands now, the armbands now. Come on. So <clears throat> one of my favorite times in life, was the whole recruiting process. For me, one of my dreams, aspirations, was to play college football. I wanted to play college football so bad. And, and about as I got into my junior year, as I got into my senior year, I started getting emails from coaches. I started getting letters in the mail from coaches and colleges and universities. And it was so exciting to me that a coach would see me fit enough to be a part of their program. 
that I would be a good fit for their program, that I could maybe help them, that they would be interested enough in me to actually recruit me to be a part of their team. Sometimes I even had coaches calling my own personal cell phone. I'm like, this is crazy. I love this. It's an awesome process. So one day I'm sitting in class. It's actually agriculture class. <laughs> this is only when I was about 3% country. I've grown since then, y'all. We're, there's this big, long table in this workshop on the side of the school. And, you know, we're probably sitting there with a piece of corn in front of us or whatever. And my football coach comes into the class, got about 30 kids in this classroom. And he interrupts our whole class to say this. Mark, Fordham University is here to talk to you. I need you to come with me. Fordham University is here to talk to you. I need you to come with me. And I get up from the table like a king. I'm like... I bet they are, you know. <laughs> like, you talk about a moment of feeling like the man. That was it, man. Every, and what's, you know, so the university, Fordham University, Division One AA school, Division One football, uh, University of Rhode Island's right up the street from my high school, and they're in the same conference as URI. So everyone knows who Fordham is. And Fordham is this... Uh, awesome university in the middle of the Bronx. We went, we visited the school and, and you go through, you are literally in the hood. And then there's this stone wall, there's guys with guns. And then you, you get on the other side of the wall and it's like the promised land. You got the greenest grass you've ever seen. You got these massive stone buildings. It's like you leave one world and step into a new world. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. So anyways, he goes, Fordham University is here to talk to you. I go into his office. I sit down. I talk with a coach. He invites me to go to his spring recruiting camp or whatever. Maybe a summer spring recruitment camp. So, and what they do, what these universities do is they put on camps, they bring in athletes from all over the nation and they observe their skills, their abilities, their techniques. They invite wide receivers and quarterbacks and running backs and they watch their footwork and, and break it down. Would this be a good fit for our program? This, this kid has a strong arm. This kid's fast. This kid can jump high, blah, 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 blah. What are his stats? So this, you know, he, he's inviting me to this and there's Division one college coaches, division two college coaches, division three college coaches. So he, he tells this is a helmet, helmet only. I'm like, okay, that sounds great. You know, I'll be there. So it's coming around time for my family and I to go to the Bronx, New York, to Fordham University, to their camp, and I need a helmet. And at this time, the Rydell Revolution Speed helmet had just came out. This was like a, a transformative piece of football equipment. Helmets never looked so good. We had three of them and I got to wear one of them during the season. Love this helmet. It was just the coolest looking helmet. And I'm like, coach, I'm like, I, I need a helmet to go to football camp. And he's like, Mark, I've sent all of them off. I've sent all of them off to be repurposed, reconditioned. We have to do that every couple of years. I don't, I can go check, but I don't think I have any helmets. I'm like, well, coach, I need a helmet. So we got we to gotta figure this out. And, you know, we were the Narragansett Mariners. Our helmets look just like Nebraska's helmets. So he uh, goes to the shed and, and he gets this helmet. And I just want to show you <clears throat> what my helmet was supposed to look like. So Maria, let's show him what my helmet was supposed to look like. This is the Revo Speed. Come on, sharp, jagged face mask. Got, you know, your, so your brain can breathe. You know, you got, you got, they come on, this thing is, you know, the clips are just attached. You don't even, you don't even unclip. You just, this thing is sharp looking. 
got extra padding so you can't even get a concussion wearing this thing, right? This is the most immaculate helmet there is. This is what everybody's going to be wearing at this camp. Coach has one helmet that wasn't sent off. And you know what helmet it was? The VSR4. It sounds like VCR because they were probably created at the same time. <laughs> Let's show him the VSR. This is what he gives me. <laughs> Here, go to your camp. Look good, play good. This isn't looking good, coach. Are you kidding me? It's got like the big crown forehead. Now this helmet's white. But mine was yellow. It was like had been, you know, disintegrating in the back of our football storage thing. He found it. It got left there from the 90s. I'm like, coach, I can't wear this. He's like, that's all I got. I'm like, all right. I go to this camp. I show up at this camp. I don't know if anyone took me serious, right? I felt like a total outcast wearing this goofy helmet around. It's like, did Mark Griffith come to try out or Bobby Boucher? I can't even tell. <laughs> Who is this? Right? I was about to do an impression, but I'll just keep rolling here. <laughs> I'm just like, this is unbelievable. Needless to say, I never heard from Fordham University again. It's just the truth. <laughs> I didn't play great. Just to shoot you straight, I definitely wasn't good enough to be a Division I college quarterback. Anyways, it wasn't the helmet at the end of the day. Like, <laughs> it wasn't the helmet of why I didn't get called. But I remember being at that camp. As a 16, 17-year-old kid and just being like so embarrassed. Everybody has these shiny, awesome helmets, like these cool face masks, some probably have visors. And, and here I am in what looks like a 1991 retro Nebraska Huskers memorabilia helmet that I won at an auction or something. You know, it's like, what is this? We laugh. And it's funny. You guys like to laugh at high school, Mark. But some of y'all have felt like this in a serious way. You see the picture on Facebook and realized you were the only one not invited. Feeling like an outcast. You walk into the family party as the step-parent or the stepdaughter or the stepson and don't feel like you don't fit. People don't really care if you're there or not. And regardless of where we felt it, I think at times we've all felt that. We hate that feeling of not belonging. We hate that feeling of rejection, not fitting in because we crave connection. We crave community. And in Luke 17, it's like we're introduced to a, a group full of guys who are wearing VSR4s, right? They have leprosy, but Luke 17, let's look at it. These guys got real skin issues, and here I am making jokes. This is terrible. All right, Luke 17. So it says, as Jesus continued on toward, I'm in verse 11, as Je Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. He's, he's in between these things. And as he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood out at a distance crying out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Now, for those unfamiliar with what the heck is leprosy, Leprosy is like this broad word for every kind of skin disease. And what would happen at this time in culture under Levitical law um, to not infect other people, if you had some sort of skin disease, whether that be, you know, blisters and infections, rashes, ringworm, whatever, you were marked, labeled unclean and essentially separated from society. 
in a lot of commentaries that I've read, they talk about how if you're considered unclean as you walk around through communities and people, you actually have to vocalize that you're unclean. You have to walk in and say, unclean, unclean, so people know, so they don't get too close, so they don't get infected. So here we find on the border of Galilee and Samaria, we have 10 lepers, 10 people who have been outcast from society. Now, it wasn't uncommon for lepers to join together because we crave connection, right? So they're like, hey, they kicked you out too? Yeah, me too, man. Don't get too close. I don't want to get infected. Bro, you already are infected. All right, get over here. Give me a hug, you know? So we have this group of lepers who's been, who, who's been uh, uh, just basically kicked out. They're the outcasts. They're rejected. And, and something that I love here is this story is so deep. There, there's so much underneath the surface of just these texts. You have Galilee and you have Samaria. And Galilee is predominantly a Jewish community. So people who serve the real living God, clean people, the Jewish community. Then you have Samaria. In a little history lesson here, Samaria was taken over by the Assyrians. The Assyrian men got with the Jewish woman because it, Samaria used to be a Jewish community. They get, they get overtaken. Assyrian men get with Jewish women. So this is probably a mix of race, but it's not only a mix of race, it's a mix of cultures, it's a mix of beliefs. And in the, through Jewish eyes, through Jewish perspective, now people from Samaria have been contaminated. They're half Assyrian and half Jewish. They actually refer to Samarians as half-breed. And this is not new. I've taught you guys this a lot, so hopefully you remember that. But what we find here is this group of lepers has a little bit of both. In, in its group of 10. And, and I think the lesson is there is, listen, at the end of the day, you can think you're better than me, but at the end of the day, our insignificance is all equal and we're all broken, right? And there's, there's something about that number 10 too. In the Bible, when you see the number 10, it represents uh, harmony. So I think that God's even trying to communicate here that I came for all people and you're all broken. And you're all in need of Jesus. So we see 10 lepers. We know that at least one of them is a Samaritan. And some of them are probably Jewish. Forbidden by law to come near anyone. So as Jesus approaches this uh, group of lepers, uh, they call out to him. And we read in the scriptures that they cry out. They they yell. The the word means they had to scream. They yell to... uh, obey the Levitical law of not getting too close. They've heard about Jesus. They know what he's capable of. They know what he's able to do. They probably heard of the miracles and they're calling out, hey, have mercy on us. They're yelling so that they can get Jesus's attention, but they also want to follow the law. So they're yelling, Jesus, make us well. Jesus, can you heal us? Touch us. Have mercy on us, they yell, they scream. And then Jesus turns and looks at them and says, go, show yourself to the priest. No, no, we said make us well. Fix my disease. Fix my rash. Fix my infection. Why would Jesus tell them to go see the priest? And this time you had to go to the priest to get certified, to be basically certified as now clean again. There were times these, you know, these skin rashes, diseases, they would heal up and you could go back to mingling with community if you were healed, if you were made well. So he tells them, go to the priest. 
in essence, this priest will make you clean. You, you can go. That, that would be the reason to go. So the problem is they still are infected. They still have rashes. Go see the priest. Make me well, and I will. Right? Not only have they not been made well with the Galileans, so that makes them unclean. They're, they're just going to go, and if they're, if they're not clean, if they're still unclean, they're going to stay unclean. But the Samaritan, there's a sign outside of, of the temple courtyards. It says this, any foreigner, that word foreigner, it means heathen, represents heathen. Any heathen, any foreigner who goes beyond this wall, which a Samaritan would have been considered that, will have only himself to blame for his ensuing death. So Jesus is saying, to the, to, we know there's at least one Samaritan, go see the priest. What? That doesn't make any sense, Jesus. Why do you want us to go there? The lepers shouted out, have mercy on us, make us well. And Jesus' Jesus response is to invite this group of lepers to what seems like public humiliation into interaction that will only lead to discouragement, embarrassment, potentially for some of these dudes, even murder. Jesus says, go, go to the priest. If I'm with these guys, I'm like, y'all, I'm not going anywhere. You know what happens if we walk around like this? You know what happens if we approach a priest like this? Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. I wonder sometimes, do we pray to be used by God? And then our pastor invites us to foster kids and we respond in our head and our hearts, Jesus, that's not what I had in mind. Do we ask God for increase? And then Jesus convicts us to, to give something, to do something sacrificial. And we respond, Jesus, that, whoa, I will once you give. I, I will once you, once, you give me, once you give me surplus, I'll do what you asked me to do. God, that's, that's not what I had in mind. Maybe we pray for our spouse to act right, but the Lord convicts us to actually start serving that spouse before their behavior even changes. Lord, that's not what I had in mind. I just want to bring you guys in on a little kingdom secret this morning. God is going to invite you to do some good things. God's going to prompt your spirit. He's going to put in your heart to do some good things, but oftentimes the good things he invites you to do are scary. They're uncomfortable. They're sacrificial. They feel risky. But when God tells you to go, you'll never receive the fullness of this abundant life he has for you. If you don't make moves, you just make excuses. Some of y'all have been praying about some things. You've been waiting on God for some things, hoping it'll just supernaturally happen. But I really sense that some of the things you've been praying about, your answer is only going to be activated by you doing the scary thing that God's been prompting you to do. It's a part of the process. Go show yourself to the priest. Jesus, you crazy? Look at us. Samaritans in the back like, Jesus, I'll get killed if I go there. Taking a kid. Jesus, we, we want to try and have our own first. Start the business. Jesus, we don't have the money. Tell your wife what you've been watching. Jesus, if I do that, she'll leave me. But do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? 
Do you want to see the answer to what you've been asking for? Not saying that God's some genie and if we do this, then that's going to happen. I'm just saying when you're prompted, when, when, when God puts something specific in your heart to do, and you know with clarity God is prompting, he's convicting my heart. He's convicting my mind. He's brought confirmation through friends. He's put in the same thing in my wife's heart. Whatever it might be, when you know you've been convicted and prompted. Some of y'all have been stuck in your leprosy. And the Lord has some incredible plans for you. But you got to go show yourself to the priest even before it's not gone. You know, something I love about the writer James is when James writes his letter, in the Bible, he's about 80% punch and 20% hug, which for some reason I kind of like. He's hard-nosed. And as you read through his letter, um, I, I think it's helpful to know that he's coming behind the ministry of Paul. And if you know anything about Paul's word and, and sharing the gospel, Paul is grace, 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 which is, which is good and which is truth. It is by grace you have been saved through faith so that no man can boast. Paul makes it clear. Listen, salvation is not won by you. Salvation is not performed, you know, and, and then something you, you perform for and then receive. Salvation is given by God, received through faith. Salvation is, is not your own doing. It is the work of God. Paul clearly exp explains salvation is not reward for the good things that we have done. So James come, comes behind this teaching where I think people have started to misapply Paul's teaching. James addresses the believers who more than likely they, they sat under the teaching. And instead of responding to the grace of God with an activated faith, they've, been, they've become apathetic in their faith, misapplying Paul's teachings that salvation isn't based on works. So it's like, okay, I'm good. I don't need to do anything. And we got a bunch of apathetic Christians chilling. And James is like, y'all better get up. Y'all better be sensitive to what's going on in you. If your faith doesn't move, you have to question if that faith is even real. Because faith isn't just a belief. Faith looks a lot like following. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you got to move, right? Jesus said, I'm sending you my spirit. It's better that I go. I'm going to give you my spirit. He goes, y'all, we got, we got the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. When I put faith in Jesus, everything changes. Jesus comes and inhabits my heart. He lives in my heart through the spirit. And the grave is empty, y'all. Christ is alive. We have a God who's interacting with us. We have a God who's prompting our hearts, prompting our spirits, leading us, right? We have a God who interacts with us. He's alive. And he's saying, y'all are sitting there. God's got good things for you to do. God's trying to accomplish his will in you and through you. Faith is a lot. Faith is submission to the person of the Holy Spirit at work within us. I'd say it like this. Sometimes we get confused thinking faith is a noun. Faith is, faith is a noun, but it's just as much a verb. Faith is action. Faith is me and my new life. Faith is the old washed away, me walking in the new. Faith is a relationship with a person. James writes in chapter four of his letter, not the verse I'm going to use, but, but he tells us, he says, God is passionate. He's jealous. God is jealous that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. God has put his Holy Spirit in us to lead us, to help us follow him. 
It's not that James is saying you have to perform for your salvation, but he's exhorting believers that true, genuine faith always produces action. Real faith changes everything. Talk about a punch and a hug. James is a spiritual boxer. Let's read this. James 2, verse 14. We'll start there. Read through verse 20. James says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anybody? Suppose you see a brother or a sister who has no food or clothing, and you say, bye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well. But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? He says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it is dead and useless. He's not saying that we have to perform. We have to perform. But what he's saying is that our faith and our actions, real faith, that's just a part of real faith. It spurs you on. It energizes your spirit. Real faith moves you. It's catalytic to a new life. We're, We're followers now. We're following someone. I've died to the old. I'm not, not living for myself. I'm, I'm, I'm literally following someone else. Now, someone may argue, he writes in verse 18, now someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. You say you have faith, for you believe that there's one God, good for you. Even demons believe that. And they tremble in terror. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? Remember our definition of faith, a total trust in the providence and provision of God. This this whole faith journey is an interaction with a God who is alive on the inside of us, prompting us, leading us, accomplishing his will through us. There's not a whole lot of difference in faith and in following. Faith is following Jesus, believing that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. If he's the way, we got to go that way. And that's movement. Jesus says, go show yourself to the priest. When Jesus tells you to go, you got to shut up and go. Because look what happens when they obey in Luke 14. He looked at them and he said, go show yourselves to the priest. Still sick, still infected. But it says, as they went. Come on, somebody say, as they went. One more time. As they went, they were cleansed of their lepers. As they went. See, what we think is that God wants us to go to the priest because our provision is found in a person or in a place. But when Jesus gives them this command to go to the priest, that had nothing to do with the priest, right? It was about them trusting the Lord, trusting his providence and his provision. And before they ever moved, they had to come into agreement that his command was good. They had had to come into agreement that his providence and his provision could be trusted. But even when it didn't make sense to go because they're still lepers, they went anyway. 
we fail to recognize that it's not about getting to the priest. It's about trusting the Lord when he tells us to go. And as they went, they got well. As they went, they were cleansed. Sometimes I think obedience to the word of God, obedience to to the promptings of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us becomes convoluted into this have to. Like I think in the church, this word obedience is this dirty word. Like we we don't like this word obedience. And I think we forget that there's blessing in obedience. Obedience, just as much as it blesses God, it blesses us. This is a God who died for us. This this is a God whose pure motivation for us is love. That he sent his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. This is the God who's prompting us, who's leading us. Do we trust his providence and his provision? Do we trust that God has good things for us? Like, why, why are we so stuck in the mud to be obedient to what God's doing in our heart? When God tells you to go, you gotta go. Knowing that your way is not better than his way. And as they went, they got well. Why do we have struggle to obey and trust the same God who's purely motivated by love? When God says go, we have to go. Kim, you can come if you don't mind. As they went, they got well. As they went, they got well. Jesus says go and they just start, they just start walking. Okay, but I still got sores, Jesus. Oh, that one just went away. That, as, as, as we go, as we follow Jesus, as we, as we follow what he's prompted us to do, oh, that changes, bro. Oh, I just, I just got freedom in that area. Oh, oh, there, there's that joy rising up. As they went, they got well. This is, he is the way, he is the truth. His spirit is leading us into all truth. He has an abundant life for you. So when he tells you to go, you gotta go, even when it doesn't make sense. And as you step, it reveals what's happening. As he called Peter out of the boat, he stepped on the water. So, oh, that's different. Oh, that's different. Whoa. As you go, come on, God's prompting you. And he's just saying, come on, you just got to trust me. You just, you just got to trust me. And as we just follow him, you're, you're going to experience the faithfulness of God. You're going to see chains break. You're going to see joys rise up. You're going to see leadership capacity increase. You're, you're going to see a new influence rise up. You're going to see promotion as you follow. You're, you're going to see God develop some things in you. But if, if you stop, if, if you stop, you're going to still see sores. But as you go, you get well as, as you keep going he's doing something in you but there's going to be times where he says now step over there and you'll be like i don't know do you want to get well do you want to step into the full life that i have for you when i say go you gotta go so the lepers have started on their way and as they go they miraculously received their healing but one of the lepers response is unique to the other nine and we see it in verse 15 luke 17 verse 15 it says one of them when he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus as he walked. And I don't know, the scriptures don't tell us, so I don't know if he actually got to the temple. I, I don't know if he was made, but, but it just says as he, the way I see it, can I just give y'all some perspective and say it might be Bible, it might not. 
Just have some grace. This is this is the way. He he goes. He sees it. He gets well. He goes, and he runs back to Jesus because the value is not in the blessing. The value is in the person from which all things flow. And he caught it. He caught it. It wasn't so much about my healing. It was about the person. That's where the, that's where the real value is. So, so the other nine, they got, they got their blessing. That was good enough for him. But he caught revelation. No, this is deeper. Let, let's read. Let's read. Verse 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. And who was this man? A Samaritan. This man knew what it was like to be rejected. This man probably grew up and people said, God doesn't love you. God doesn't have good plans for you. You're broken. You're going to always be broken. It doesn't matter what you do. Everybody knows what you've done. I've been there. Have you felt broken? Have you felt discouraged? Have you made bad decisions? Come on, am I the only one who God's proved himself faithful? I found my seat, myself every morning in this chair saying, God, you're good look what you've done broken mark preaching to a room full of 200 people i don't belong here and god's got things for you god's got things for you and it's not in the blessing it's in the person a samaritan a leper broken i don't even know if i'm allowed to be near you i don't even know if i'm allowed to be at your feet i know they're saying you're god but I just have to give you praise because you made me well. And it was you. And Jesus asked him, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up because your faith has healed you. Your faith has made you well. I did a little word study. I don't have time. I'm way over time, but... So, so it says, as they went, I, looked, I just looked at the original language. As they went, they were cleansed. That's one word. Then, then the Samaritan, when he recognized he was healed, in verse 15, he was healed. That's another word. And then when he's at the feet of Jesus, and when Jesus says, stand up and go, for you've been made whole, it's another word, which means you've been rescued. It really means you've been rescued from destruction. This is what it tells me, that Jesus isn't just interested in healing our hurts. He wants to heal our heart. Jesus isn't just interested in the material. He wants to make your soul well. He wants to give you eternity with him. Salvation is found in the name of Jesus. And Jesus says, Samaritan, you get it. Something that I love about this story, which was revelatory for this time, is it's a Samaritan. And Jesus says, stand up, salvation is yours. Stand up, you've been made well. Stand up, you're right with God. You've been made whole, you're cleansed. A Samaritan in a time where people thought God was only for, no, no, no. This God ain't just for one type of person not just for one color of person, not just for one demographic. This is a God who so loved the world. This is a God who so loved the world. He loved Jews and he loved Samaritans. And guess what church? He loves you. And he came for you and made way for you. And God's not looking for perfection. God's looking for pursuers who said, God, you made me well. I'm coming back to you to give you praise. God's not looking for perfection. God's looking for pursuers. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. 
You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.